This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast about the business of entertainment. I'm Jem Aswad, Variety's executive music editor, and joining us today is veteran music attorney Donald Passman, whose list of clients over the years has included Taylor Swift, Paul Simon, Stevie Wonder, Adele, and many more. That's actually not what he's best known for. If there's a Bible for the music industry, it's his book, All You Need to Know About the Music Business. Since the first edition came out more than 30 years ago, it has guided countless musicians and executives and has prevented many of them from making decisions they'd later regret. Considering the deep detail Passman gets into about contracts, royalties, and other complicated business arrangements, his tone in the book is remarkably conversational, and he makes sure the readers don't miss the important stuff. The section on business managers, for example, begins with him saying, listen to me, in italics and several exclamation marks. But that's not how he speaks in the interview that follows, which I have to say is the best podcast interview I've ever done. We spoke a bit about his process of writing the 11th edition of the book, but mostly about what's in it and the state of the music industry today. Everything from AI and the threat it brings to intellectual property, to catalog sales, the new models for streaming services, and lots more. Like a true lawyer with his eye on billable hours, he answers the questions thoroughly but concisely, which means we cover a lot of ground in a short period of time. You can hear it after the break. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. 
It's The Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> Ooh. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. You're listening to Strictly Business with Donald Passman, author of All You Need to Know About the Music Business. What is it like when you meet people, I mean, who, you know, who have read the book? And and I mean, I read it when I was a pup 30 some years ago. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you know, some a, a couple of people are a little starstruck with it, I guess. But um, it, for the most part, I just want to put people at ease. I mean, for me, it's all about just telling, explaining it in easy to understand terms and, you know, having a conversation. I mean, I try to write the book as if we were sitting across each other talking. So uh, I don't I don't like the idea of being on any elevated uh, pedestal. I just want to have a conversation. Well, that's very cool and and very, very humble as well. What is it like revising it? It looks exhausting. How do you have time to do the the level of updating and really modernizing that's required for something that moves as quickly as the music business? It's a good question. Um, I, you know, look, a, a lot of it is done nights and weekends. Uh, just and I have, I love the writing part of it. The research is what's hard. Um, the, the writing is something I really enjoy, and you know, putting it all together. Uh, the research though takes a lot of time because I have to talk to a lot of people. Um, you know, I, I don't know the details of things, and I and there's areas that I don't deal in on a daily basis that I just have to get educated about. But I love the fact that it forces me to get uh, to get well educated every few years, um, so that I can put in accurate information. Yes, take it from a journalist. The best way to learn about anything is to write about it. <laughs> so, uh, exactly. Uh, do you have much help? in updating it? Do you have like a team that assists you with the research? No, it's pretty much all me. Um, and, and the reason is, is that I, I need to understand something before I can explain it. And, uh, and so I want to talk directly to the person that I'm dealing with and ask questions. And then if it's not clear to me, I need to ask follow-up questions and I need to go over it a few times until I can, uh, I can get it right. Uh, particularly with complicated things or things that are way outside my normal wheelhouse, uh, I have to be sure I understand them. And the only way I can do that is to talk directly to the source and obviously read articles and, uh, you know, generally get updated. I think I know the answer to this, but what has been the most difficult and complicated part to update for this new edition? Oh, good question. Um I think probably the artificial intelligence section, um, because it's so new and so fast moving and and so much going on and so many issues around it that you wouldn't think uh, that I, you know, I, it's not like there's a one place to go to get all that information. I had to go to in multiple places and then try to synthesize it. Mm -hmm. No, I would think so. Um... I mean, that feels like an ideal jumping off point for for that part of the conversation. But let me ask you first, do you what more would you like to say about the book before we start getting into the topics that are actually in the book? Um, 
just that it's important to me to keep things updated and that, uh, you know, no matter how complex the subject, I want to break it down into easily digestible, understandable chunks um, because uh, I know my audience. I mean, and uh, one of the things that has always come easy to me is the ability to take a complicated uh, subject and explain it in simple terms. Um, but I have to understand it first. So uh, once I understand it, then I can put it into words that I, I think make it easy to read because I'm, uh, you know, uh, musicians are oriented to their ears. There is an audio edition of the book this time, by the way, as there was last. Um, but, uh, you know, I wrote this for people who don't like to read. <laughs> okay, fair point. Um, one of the things, I mean, I actually think you do a great job of that because one of the things I love about it, and I had kind of forgotten uh, going along the way, um, things like, you know, where where you're talking about business managers and how important they are, and, and, it, and it leads with, listen to me, in italics, <laughs> in three exclamation marks, because, you know, I mean, you could say in very dry lawyerly terms, this is very important, or you could say, listen to me, with three exclamation marks. So I think that's rather more effective. Um, would you, all right, uh, we'll get to AI in a minute. Would you advise young people to get into music law? Is it too crowded a field or is it a fertile place full of opportunities for a career? Well, I think it's both. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, just like any other uh, aspect of what you're going to do in life, um, I, I wouldn't be daunted by the fact that there's people already doing it and uh, and that uh you know, my whole advice to anybody in any field is you've got to follow your passion. And if you're passionate about being a lawyer and doing music, uh, please come on in. We want you. Uh, we want people who are enthusiastic and uh, and excited about it because that's the way the whole thing continues. And it's good for all of us. Uh, it elevates the whole industry. Mm -hmm. And do you find that musicians, you know, and artists and young executives in general are more savvy about the business than they were 10 or 20 years ago, like enormously so or just a bit more? Um, I think somewhere between moderately to enormously. Uh, I mean, I think people realize now, particularly in this world where artists have to build their own buzz and get their own thing started before they can have a career whether they're going to go to a label or not, uh, they have to understand something about the business in order just to get that going. Uh, the reality is that most artists uh, are not that interested in business, not that they wouldn't be good at it. Um, and by the way, some artists are very interested in business and quite good at it, but most of them uh, you know, want to spend their time, rightfully so, making music. Um, so, uh, But at the same time, I find people far more educated and interested and, uh, and knowledgeable than, than they did 10 or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. No, I would think so. And I actually, to be honest, I find that some superstar artists who get more and more involved in their business, their music suffers. Quite honestly, you know, I found that to be the case with the Rolling Stones. I found that to be the case with Prince. I found that to be the case with Queen. Um, you don't have to comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it is it is very, very time consuming. And what is key to that is, you know, finding someone who can watch someone's business. Is there are, are there any like real quick bullet point tips you would give young musicians when choosing their team, when choosing an attorney, when choosing a manager? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, there, I actually have whole chapters on each of that, how to pick a lawyer, how to pick an agent, how to pick a manager and business manager and so forth. But, the you know, the, the, the basics are, number one, do, do your homework and find out who's who, because there's very charming crooks out there and you don't want to be with one of them. Uh, and two, don't be afraid to trust your instincts that, uh, that you know, if, if you think you're meeting with somebody sleazy, you probably are. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is good. That is very good bold face advice. Uh, all right, let's get to AI really quick. Where do you see this going ultimately? Because you've got a better, you know, 360 view on this than most people. Has there been anything like it before? And do you think it'll end up being like treated like sampling, you know, which people thought was completely unmanageable, but has ended up being reasonably manageable? Well, uh, you're talking specifically about music, I assume. Yes. Because AI, AI is, can, has the potential to disrupt and affect everything yes. <laughs> in a much larger way. Um, I, I think it will end up being somewhat manageable. Uh, I don't think you we can't put the genie back in the bottle. It's here. It's going to get more sophisticated and better as we go along. Um, but uh, But I think the issues around it are fairly straightforward. Um, one is, you know, uh, artists having their their voice used, uh, you know, like the the, um, the weekend Drake, uh, you know, AI piece that was using their voice in some in a new song that was not involving them uh, and being associated with that. Uh, you know, another one is what happens to music that's created by AI. And there's a lot of issues around that that I go into in the book. But um, sort of the big picture is, can it dilute what the human artists are getting paid? Um, because the way streaming works is that you take the total number of streams in a month and you take the share of streams that was yours and you and your label will get that amount of money and you and your publisher get that amount of money. A publisher meaning your songwriting people. Um, and if you put AI in the mix and they don't pay anybody for it, because at the moment you can't get a, and I, and I think it stays this way, you can't get a copyright and material that's not created by a human, um, then they the, the digital service provider could put that in the fraction and instead of paying out 100% of the money, only pay 90 because if 10% was AI, they just keep it. Uh, and obviously that's going to get negotiated by the labels and the publishers because they're already all over it. Um, and so I, I think it comes manageable. A little harder is how do you know whether it's AI or not? Because sometimes, certainly in the future, it's going to be hard to tell. Um, in theory, it ought to be identified in some way down the road. There's no requirement to do that now, but I think there should be. We'll be right back with Strictly Business. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. All right, come here. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. 
We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome back to Strictly Business with Donald Passman, author of All You Need to Know About the Music Business. Last fall, AI is all that anyone was talking about after ChatGPT launched. Then it was all anybody was talking about during Grammy week. And somewhere in that time, David Guetta released the song that where he, well, actually he didn't release it, but he, he recorded and played live a song where he had generated a fake Eminem that immediately got me thinking about what all of this means. Who gets paid? Who gets credit? All those things. And what is even more fascinating, and I learned this in the conversation with uh, the intellectual property attorney I mentioned, you can't copyright the sound of a human voice. So what actually is being, is the copyrighted, copyrighted material here if it's artificially generated. And where I've landed is that it is the recording that is ingested by AI, you know, the the material, the, the copyrighted material that is used to train AI is where the violation occurs. Is that accurate? That is accurate in the sense that it's ongoing litigation. Uh, Getty Images filed exactly that case, both in the US and the UK. Um, claiming that, you know, it was an infringement to use their material to do it. Uh, there are also other rights uh, under state law, for example, um, that you can't use somebody else's name, likeness, or arguably voice uh, without their consent. Uh, and that's that that's another way, but that, that would be approached, but that's under state law. Uh, I think there's some talk of making it a federal law, but uh, I don't know the status of that, if anything. And that's only the law in certain states, right? Yes, correct. And they're not all consistent either. Right. Because, and I don't actually know what... Um, and and it's also, I think the European Union has a Privacy Act as well. Right. Because I don't actually know what Universal cited when they had Ghost Riders, Drake, and Weekend Sampling song down. They wouldn't tell me. Um, so, but in the past... Soundalikes were were legally defeated by Tom Waits and Bette Midler and someone else, but that was under false advertising. So it's it's very interesting to me that the way that the legal um, the legal basis for this that's being used is not really about the sound of a voice. I mean, although name and likeness would be, uh, yes, name and likeness would be. Um... But, but and you can't represent that it is the actual artist. Uh, you, you'd have to. But if it's identified as AI, it may not be a misrepresentation. But there, but there are, you know, there are, um, you know, and also contractually, uh, all of the uh, labels are dealing with the digital service provider. So as a practical matter, it can get solved that way too. Mm -hmm. um, do you think we'll be at a functional point where people can do that? Where you know, somebody could release a, a, you know, a song with a fake Mick Jagger singing or something like that, or, you know, AI generated Mick Jagger singing. Do you think we'll be at that point within the next six months, year, five years? 
Well, I think we're already at the point where people could do it. Uh, you mean, do I think there'll be a mechanism in place to do it? Well, I think you'd have to clear it. Uh, I mean, I think you'd have to go to them and see if this is okay and if they want to endorse it and probably pay them something for it. Um, but I think I don't see a blanket thing happening like that um, because I think that people, you know, artists want to control how their voice is used and how it's presented. Um, and so I, I don't see it happening you know, like you can go in and get it pre-cleared. I think you'd have to do it in every instance. In your book, you're really quite bullish about streaming and what it's done for the music industry. And I mean, there's no question that it single hand, well, practically single handedly saved the music business. You know, once Spotify launched in the U.S., things really started turning around. I'm not sure artists really feel that way as much. Um, because I was speaking with a fairly prominent artist uh, just a couple of weeks ago who said he felt that it the new streaming laws, because artists and songwriters make so much less from streaming than they did from CDs. And I mean, yes, everyone does. He feels like artists really got sort of left out in the cold of it. With streaming leveling off and that being a concern, What's what's going to keep the music industry growing? Well, it is leveling off in some territories, but not all. And subscription prices are going to go up, mm -hmm. uh, which is going to you know be a huge boon to everybody. Uh, there's no question that you get paid better if you're selling an, uh, an equivalent number of CDs. Um, but you know those days are gone. So yeah. we're in the new reality. And if you you know when piracy hit, uh, we were. Um, you know, uh, 16 years on either declining or flat and at half of what it was when the CDs were booming. Um, but one of the things I talk about is that in the heyday of CDs, uh, the average CD buyer, you know, spent, you know, 40 to 50 bucks, 40 some odd bucks per year on CDs. But if you think about what you pay for subscriptions, even adjusting for inflation, uh, it's much more than that. And also, we're monetizing people who would have never gone to a record store. Most people stopped going to record stores when they were in their early 20s. Uh, now you're selling streaming to little bitty kids, and you're selling in preteens, uh, and you're selling streaming to uh, you know old people that want to listen to Frank Sinatra. Um, so uh, we have a much broader pool, and, uh, and, and I am optimistic about it. Mm -hmm. So do you think it'll still keep growing, you know, maybe not at this rate, but growing significantly in the U.S. and the U.K. and Germany and, and you know, places that aren't Asia and, you know, parts of Africa that, that a lot of the record companies seem to be seeing as having vast potential for growth, but a streaming subscription costs a fraction of what it costs in the Western world? Correct. Uh, I don't know. I mean, once you reach maturity of streaming and then you've sort of hit the saturation, like what happened in Scandinavia, it definitely goes flat uh, in terms of the money, um, assuming you don't lose people and uh, and it stays about the same. But I do think that prices are going to go up and that is going to be significant in terms of how much more money comes in. The majors are talking about different streaming models. They're experimenting on on, on different payment models. Uh, with virtually every service, um, artists seem to be getting a slightly better cut. But one of the ironies to me has always been the fact that the songwriter is at the bottom of the equation in streaming. And I mean, you've got nothing without a song. Do you see solutions? Do you see ways that songwriters can be better compensated by streaming? 
Well, the songwriters just got a very good increase uh, thanks to a ruling by the Copyright Royalty Board. Uh, yeah. And it's going to go up even more over the next few years. And uh, it is... Um, I'm I'm going to get this wrong because I don't have the numbers, so don't quote me directly on it. But it is close to, if not more than, proportionate to what they were getting on CDs, and it may even be more than that. Um, and so, uh, you know, depending on how the calculations work, they're actually getting paid pretty well in a streaming world, to my understanding. Hmm. Now, again, I don't have the exact figures, but um, but um, it, it's 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 not bad. Well, it's it's getting better. You know, I mean, I still hear I still hear from artists all the time how just how they don't make money from recorded music anymore. And, well, you know, that's pretty, you know, a pretty incontestable fact. You know, they've kind of accepted that, like, OK, I'm going to make this album, but I'm not going to make any money from it. But it'll bring people to shows. Do you think that's the model going forward or do you think it's possible for them to be better compensated? I think, well, I think that, it. Uh, first of all, with any new technology, and again, I have a section in my book on what happens when there's new technologies, uh, the artists are always paid less than they should be when it first comes on board. And then as time goes on and their deals expire and they negotiate, they get bigger and bigger pieces of it. So that's one part of the equation that artists will do better. Uh, will they, um, you know, it, it is not as big a piece of their income as it was historically and may not be in the future, although don't know for sure. And it depends on the artist. I mean, a touring artist is going to make far more on touring and merchandise and uh, and a well-known artist will have a make a lot on endorsements and branding. Um, and it will it will be much more than they can make on recorded music, even the most successful people. Uh, and so it isn't the same big percentage of their income stream that it was before, but it is something that drives the marketing and drives uh, awareness and drives consumer, you know, uh, um, interest and, and fandom. And so it's an important part of the equation, even if it's not the same dollars proportionally that it might have been in the past. Mm -hmm. Um. On a related topic, looking at the music catalog boom of the last few years, do you feel like it's over? Do you feel like it's just crested and, you know, it'll continue, but at not the rate that it has been? Well, what, by rate, what do you mean? Do you mean prices or do you mean the number of transactions? Well, both, really. I mean, it, it seems like prices are prices seem to have topped off, don't they? Yes. And I think rising interest rates have something to do with that, too. Um, but there's still a lot of money chasing catalogs, and and also a lot of the uh, the premier catalogs have already been sold. Um, so uh, to some degree, that's that that affects the marketplace. But I would I'm starting to see a softening in the market in the terms of multiples. But with really good catalogs, um, you can still get a an extremely good price. Mm -hmm. um, have you done any of those deals? I have. Um, although I mostly try to talk people out of them, uh, I, I think, and I, again, I have a section in the book on, on this, uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, most everybody historically who sold their catalog has regretted it, that, uh, you need to do an exercise that goes like this, um, take the amount of money you're getting, pay your expenses, pay your taxes, and look at what you have left and invest it. And can you make as much as the catalog was making? And do you have the upside the catalog might have? And uh, so for younger people, I've, I've been pretty successful in talking them out of it. 
I do think it makes sense for older people if, for example, their heirs don't know what to do with the catalog or they'll kill each other trying to deal right. with it. Um, or if you, uh, you know, have an estate tax problem because you're going to have to pay state tax on the value of the catalog and you may not have the cash to do it and be forced into a fire sale. Uh, and obviously, there's always the issue of someone who desperately needs money uh, may have to sell all or part of it. Um, but for the most part, I, uh, I and it's not particularly my self-interest, by the way, I'd like to make a large fee for selling a catalog. Um, but it's uh, but I think it's the right thing for most people. One line that has always stuck with me is, you know, when you're talking about assessing managers and, you know, you've got the powerful manager at the at the high end, you know, who like might look after you as well as Beyonce and Taylor Swift or whoever they, they have. Or you've got the young manager who will kill for you. What are the I mean, what are the factors that you think would help determine one or the other or whether you go in the middle? Well, um if you're talking, you're talking about a new artist now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A promising new artist. Yeah. Uh, with a new artist, uh, look, if you can get a powerful manager who really is, you know, committed to you and really sees in you, that's a great thing to do. But a lot of times that's not the case. They just don't have the time for you or they're not going to uh, put any energy or effort into you uh, unless they have somebody young in their company that happens to be excited about you. Uh, it's good to have the cloud of a powerful manager, but if that's not an option, uh, and or you know somebody young and hungry and uh, you know who's going to kill for you and spend every waking hour worrying about you is a really good alternative. Uh, you know every manager started out like that. Uh, they all started out with no cloud and brand new, and uh, and then uh, you know got an artist and worked themselves to death and got the artist successful, and then all of a sudden they're a powerful manager. Mm -hmm. Okay, you you also I was surprised at how many of the deals that you talked about management deals in particular are actually handshake deals and you didn't you didn't seem particularly bothered by them but they can work out disastrously right well what do you mean by disastrously uh all right for for one example uh the smiths never signed a management deal with anyone they had very few contracts of any kind and their drummer ended up suing the two main songwriters multiple times for six figures getting more money and it kept being decided in his favor because nothing was written down well that wouldn't be a management agreement that would be of an course. that yeah. would be an internal agreement right. uh, couldn't something similar couldn't a manager pull a similar attempt a similar kind of move uh yes but it, but the artist is far better off without a written contract because it's not clear what the terms are and by the way, handshake doesn't necessarily mean you don't negotiate the terms. It just means that you can leave anytime you want. Uh, we usually at least do an email exchange saying, here's the terms of what the deal means. Um, but the term is such that we can leave anytime we want. Okay. So it's not like nothing is written down. Correct. Okay. Not usually. Sometimes, but not usually. Is that email legally binding? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. I will conclude with... Probably the biggest question. What's the biggest threat to the music industry right now? Oh, interesting. Um, I probably have to go with the AI and how that's going to play out. Uh, and I don't think it's an existential threat. I think it's something that we're going to work out and manage. 
But overall, I think we're in pretty good shape. I, I, let me answer it a different way, though. Uh, the biggest problem in the industry, if I can slightly yeah. change your question, is how do you break through the noise? There's over 100,000 tracks uploaded every day, uh, every day. And uh, so how do you ever get heard? How do you ever get above the noise? How do you ever get anybody to know about your music? That's the biggest uh, thing that's going on. And weirdly, it's to the artist's advantage um, because the ones that figure out how to break through and get traction suddenly have multiple companies chasing them and they get deals they could have never gotten in the past. Uh, and uh, such as ownership of their masters or uh, uh, share of profits and huge advances. And uh, and so it's sort of shifted. That's the reason artists now have more bargaining power than they've ever had before. Mm -hmm. And there, and a lot more artists now do seem to own their masters because, I mean, thanks in no small part to Taylor Swift, they've become aware of the value of it and even that it's an option. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But you need a fair amount of clout to get that. Right. Uh, is there anything you would like to address or anything in the book you'd like to talk about? Because every single thing that we've talked about in this conversation is explored in great detail and, and with considerable intelligence and insight in the book. Are there any other things I haven't asked you about that you would like to address or would like to just put out there? No, uh, Jim, these were great questions and very insightful and thoughtful and smart. And I appreciate your taking the time to do it. You've been listening to Strictly Business with Donald Passman. Please check back next week. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council.